For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football podcast presented by betonline.ag here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Week one is done. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. Last week, we broke even here on the New York Football Podcast. The Bengals... And the Broncos lost on last-minute field goals. Very heartbreaking. We could have been over, but we'll take the even, and we're going to keep pushing forward. Now, from spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses again that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the New York Football Podcast. As always, I am your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, rate, and subscribe. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez with a double underscore. We have a ton to get to today. We're going to give you guys my early week best bets here as I'm recording on Tuesday. This is going to drop normal time here on Wednesday. I know I've been all over the place lately for you guys. We're going to try to stick to our Wednesday drop date so I can get you some bets for Thursday night as well. We're going to recap both the Giants and the Jets. Then to finish off the show, I'll be joining my friend Joey Christopoulos on his Believe in Betting Chicago show to preview the Giants versus the Bears. We're going to discuss some of our bets and some matchups to look forward to in that game. We'll also recap both the Bears and Giants matchups from last week. The Bears ended up coming back in some miraculous fashion against the Lions, so he'll have plenty to say about that. But to begin, I'm going to do something you guys aren't expecting here. I'm not going to start with the Giants. We're going to start with the Jets. Mainly because I feel like there's a lot less to talk about, but a lot more to really just say. The Giants, I have plenty to talk about. But the Jets, I told you so. I knew it was coming. Guys, we've made it one game, and the Jets have already reached full tank mode. I mean, the offense, to put it lightly, looked terrible. Okay? O-line, fine. They pass protect all right. They only gave up three sacks. Not terrible. But in total, they had 52 rushing yards. Frank Gore was the leading rusher, which I 
kind of foresaw happening. And by the way, to make matters worse, as if the whole left thing was on and off and it was the hamstring. Well, his hamstring's actually hurt now. And he's going to miss some time over the next few weeks. And so the Adam Gase dumpster fire is in full effect. Just to sum up the O, because you know I love talking about Adam Gase's offense. The Jets and the Bills were even. They both had 11 drives on offense. The Jets ran 30 less plays and gained 150 less yards. To make matters worse, they had 20 minutes less possession time. I mean, as a team, they also had 9 penalties for 95 yards. Okay, To begin the game, they were out of this in the first half. And anyone who saw the game knew that. But I was watching, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't think the Jets actually had a first down until that final drive of the first half. But I was wrong. They had one. They only had one first down, which they got quickly on like first or second down. And then they punted right after. They gained one first down. They had three consecutive three and outs to open the game. Then they gained the first down. They punt. And then the next one is a three and out, but this time with an interception. So they had one first down going into the last drive. And it was probably their best drive of the game. A 10-play, 75-yard uh, drive with four first downs. They had 15 total first downs, so they ended up getting 10 in the second half. guess they figured something out, but the point was their touchdown wasn't necessarily anything special. I mean, Crowder broke a gigantic play. And so... Adam Gase, man, uh, this team is in shambles. He doesn't look like he has the ducks in a row. The The team looks unorganized and just out of sorts. I mean, the Bills, yes, they're supposed to be a very good team. They were going to be home. But, I mean, the Jets didn't even put up a fight. They didn't even put up a fight. And to be honest, Sam Darnold didn't look too great. And I know a lot of Jet fans are out there saying, full tank, let's get Trevor already. I mean, that would be interesting. I know this was on the fence. A lot of people, you know, kind of made their decisions on Darnold. I thought this year would be the prove-it year. But it seems like Jets fans would be content uh, tanking and just getting Trevor. Or who knows, Even maybe even Justin Fields. I think this team has plenty of other issues. And by the way, how did Jamal Adams look in Seattle? He was making plays to pretty much save them the game. The guy was a freak. He has a motor like no other. And he was in the box constantly for the Seahawks, making plays at the goal line. He had a sack. I, I mean, he was everywhere. So that defense definitely missed him. But in regards to Sam Darnold rolling it back, he had a really rough game. He was 21 for 35, 215 yards, a touchdown, a pick, a 19.3 QBR. He was sacked three times. Um, listen, I don't want to harp on this all, all that much. I just think that it's inevitable that this team cannot... Be good until Gase is gone. I mean, I, I made it one full week to start calling for his head. And the most messed up part is, I don't think he's going. I mean, I think they're going to have to be really putrid for Joe Douglas to finally be like, okay, maybe I should actually do something here. But it just seems like they're okay with him running the show. And the results are going to show for it. To be honest, if the Jets do want to tank, you're probably better off keeping Adam Gase as your star, uh, as your head coach. Because I just don't see them winning many games. I really don't. This team does not look good right now. Lev is gone. Crowder's all they got, and he can't even get on the same page. Chris Herndon, who I thought was a bright spot, did okay, but he fumbled. So it's like 
anything that can and will go wrong with this team looks like it will. And so who they're going to be is beyond me, but we'll cross that bridge when I see a matchup that they could potentially at least cover the spread. But as of right now, I don't see that happening this upcoming week. And I'll get to that in my best bets on Show Me the Money. But the Jets have a long season ahead of them. And Jets fans, you might want to declare free agency now so you could probably enjoy this NFL season. But enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get out of this. And let's move on to the G-Men. And honestly, I, I think the weirdest part about that game, and I'll just go to the elephant in the room, the 19-play, 87-yard drive that ended with an interception. And seeing that drive, I mean, all you Giants fans out there, it was disheartening, disappointing, hurt, sad, a lot of emotions. But I think the one that stuck true was that I felt whole again. Football, Giants football more in particular, is all the way back. I mean, even the pick to TJ Watt is just, I I had talked about how you know, Daniel Jones just is such a twin of Eli. And he was making so many Eli errors. But did he look good at times, man? I mean, Dimes was on point. He made a very immature decision there in the red zone. He he should have taken the sack, should have thrown the ball away, or just even try to tuck and run it himself. But I will say that his ball protection looked a lot better. And aside from the two picks, I can't be too mad. But honestly... That loss brought me back to life, if that makes any sense. I wanted the win. We were close enough. That changed the entire game. Yes, I know that. But in the moment, I had to look at my friends and be like, guys, we're back. We're all the way back. I mean, it's just funny because you forget how much football hurts. You know, the Giants in particular, they are the infamous team, at least with Eli. The game comes down to the last two minutes. It didn't in this case. But most of the time, it's decided won or lost in one of the drives of the second half. And that was very apparent in that drive. But on a serious note, as a whole, I did like what I saw. I mean, you heard me talk to Ike Taylor and Mark Bergen last week on the show. And we previewed and discussed what the Steelers' D was capable of. I think they're probably the best in the league. And Ike was all over the Bud Dupree train. He said, Bud Dupree is going to have a field day against his fragile O-line, and my God, did he ever. I mean, the whole Steelers line was on another level. All of them. I mean, TJ's, TJ Watt's pick, which I hinted at, was gigantic. I mean, that arguably changed the game in itself, too, because the defense was playing phenomenal early on. And then they get off the field, and in one play, DJ's got them back on, and they surrender a touchdown on the drive. And it kind of changed everything. So I'm not saying one and toe was bigger than the other. We can't make mistakes. But I did tell you guys, the Giants would need a perfect game against the Steelers if they were going to win. Because the Steelers are a Super Bowl contender with Big Ben back there. Juju looked spry. Juju looked back. But what was the issue last year? Juju could only find success when Big Ben was in the pocket. So the Steelers are full force right now. James Conner got hurt for them. But I'm telling you, that D-line, that defense in general is one of the best I've seen in a bit, man. They look scary. But in my opinion, if this was last year's team, if this was the last year's Giants and offensive line and defense, the result would have been much, much worse. And I guess we can start with the defense. I'm going to run you guys through some pros and cons, some positives and negatives. But I'll start with the first thing I noticed. And yes, we started on offense. But defensively, 
we were flying around. I mean, this team has a motor now. It looked reborn in a sense. I mean, I talked about last year's team and just how hard it was to watch because they were disheartened. And they just didn't give effort. And By the way, one of the big reasons and contributors to that was Jack Rabbit, who ended up having a pick six for the Saints and kind of winning them that game this year, which is, of course, you know, it only makes sense. But it just looked all over the place last year, looked sloppy, just looked disheartened. And this team was not that on defense. Darnay Holmes, a rookie, got tested. And he didn't always do so great, but he played well in spotty roles. He was kind of all over the place. They, they blitzed him. He was in coverage. He was a man-to-man. And he played it well as a rook. Logan Ryan played well. James Bradbury played well. Blake, Blake Martinez, was showing that he's the captain of this defense. There's a bit of an identity now is the point I'm trying to make. And that is a huge step forward. That's what I talked about all offseason on this show. This team had no structure. No one was worried to play the Giants. They just didn't have a pedigree to them. And with Jabril, who didn't have a great game on defense, he didn't factor in on special teams, which I'll get to in a second, but they're slowly creating an identity. Leonard Williams had a sack. Sexy Dexy, Dexter Lawrence got a sack. This defense is starting to look rejuvenized and create its own identity, which I think is gigantic for this team. In regards to Jabril, Okay, didn't have a great defensive day. But he almost broke two punts. And I get excited seeing Jabril back there returning punts. And, and for that matter, this special teams, by the way, Joe Judge's specialty, will play a factor and continue to play a factor moving forward for this Giants team. Yesterday we saw it on the first punt. They forced a fumble. Recovered it. We didn't finish. That'll be in the negatives. Giants still don't know how to finish drives inside their own five. But there was good coverage. No crazy lapses. They had the one big kickoff return. But aside from that, special teams look good. We were flying around. I think we'll probably get some punt returns out of Jabril this year. Offensively, the game plan made sense at times. For Danny, it was get the ball out, protect it, and literally attempt to run the ball. Attempt. Because we didn't run the ball. At all. I mean, not successfully. But that's the same thing as last year. At the same point, though... That's the one thing I figured would be the toughest to get off the ground. I mean, young offense, new pieces on the O-line, new OC in Jason Garrett, who hadn't called a play since 2012. And he did a decent job. I think he did a decent job, in my opinion. We we couldn't establish a run, but... Uh, listen, what are you going to do? I mean, that is the team we have. That's the O-line we have right now. Cam Fleming did not look good. Matt Parrott might not be ready, but he might need to be ready soon. We couldn't run the ball. But aside from that, we played to our strength in a sense, especially without Golden Tate. The biggest hurt, which is another negative, is freaking Evan Ingram. Maybe if we didn't have Evan Ingram blocking ends like Bud Dupree and TJ Watt, we'd be able to seal an edge and run the ball. Who knows? Evan Ingram can't play tight end. Uh, that's one thing that needs to be taken out of the game plan. He needs to be, just be a slot receiver. He, he was dropping passes, too. He dropped, like, five passes, so he probably can't play receiver either. But let's stay with the positive real quick before I go to these negatives again because Evan Ingram is, oh, my God. Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones just look beautiful together. That's the note I have. That's it. That's it. That, that, that's the note. Slayton and Daniel Jones will just be together for their careers, and I am so freaking excited for a man. 
these two have chemistry, and Slayton is a baller. Guy can do it all inside, outside, big play. He has speed. He can route run. A lot to be excited about with that tandem right there. But now let's switch to the negative, and let's just get it out of the way. Saquon's run blocking was not good. And I feel as if, yes, it's something he worked on. And yes, the Steelers, it's easy to make an excuse with the Steelers' defense, right? The pressure. But he missed some key assignments at times. He missed some really key assignments. And it it costed him. And the lack of running, oh, my God. Just get him the ball, you know? The double screen was really nice, and they got it off, and, and that was his biggest play. But we could not create a seam for Saquon. It is a glaring negative in this game. And it, he didn't help his case because it went from bad to worse with the fact that he was in there, and he wasn't even a decoy. They, they didn't respect it. They knew he could stop him. Uh, and what? He can't pass block, so what is he doing there? You know, We weren't getting the ball enough in the, in the slot, in the flat, in the check down. Very rarely did we do that. And I understand why, because normally, you know, for a running back to progress to that spot, it takes some time, and Daniel Jones literally had no time. But the point is, that is a huge negative, and it's something they have to fix, because the Bears' defense, they're no walk in the park. They, they haven't been great. I'm not necessarily frightened by them as much as I was two years ago, but they are who they are. So the Giants need to whip it into shape uh, in terms of running and getting Saquon involved. And really, the biggest way to do that is to get better production out of the offensive line. Cam Fleming had a really bad game. I know he's probably the most experienced in this offense, and they challenged him, but he was just missing assignments left and right. I think Nick Gates got a lot of pressure up the middle. They knew that would be his first start. He was out of position, and the Steelers knew that, and they were looking their chops at it, and they utilized it. There was a lot of pressure coming up the middle into Daniel Jones's face, they had long days. It's got to be better. I know it's not as simple as that, but hey, you know, it is. Another one, Daniel Jones. We didn't finish the drives. The first one off the second drive on the fumble, we only got three out of it. That was gigantic. Evan Ingram ran a shitty route, but even before that, we had no push. We were three yards out. And we couldn't get the ball in the end zone. Even the first drive, we went past midfield. That was a sloppy first drive. I get it. We were just beginning, but we crossed midfield. We ended up taking the delay a game instead of going for it on fourth and one. I would have liked to see that. And the red zone pick, you know, that was his first ever red zone pick, uh, probably in college too. I, I saw the stat that he had never done that, uh, even at Duke. So listen, he got it out of the way. First game jitters. It happens. Steelers defense is a no bullshit. You make a mistake, you're going to fucking pay for it. So they did exactly that. And a tip of the cap. Steelers are a good football team. Lastly, my last note here, I liked Pat Patrick Graham's defense. I liked what he was doing in terms of mixing and matching. I just felt there was just a lot of man coverage in the red zone on third down, which I get it. You know, that's what they were doing. They were having success off of it. I just felt as if, other than the one scramble Big Ben had, I'm not worried about him really escaping that pocket. And if he does, you're going to be able to wrap him up. So I felt like leaving certain people on islands two, three times in a row and getting beat on crossers and crossing routes is just killer to watch as a fan because that's Madden. It's literally a Madden play. We were losing to rub routes and crossers time after time. So I expected a better adjustment after they did that in the first half. We didn't do that. Juju and then James Washington scored on crossing routes on rub routes. And so 
that really nipped us in the butt. Patrick Graham's defense was solid. I like what he was doing to mix and match and change looks up on third down. I just felt that man on third down in the red zone was a little too much for me. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Now I'm going to get you guys ready for everyone's favorite segment, Show Me the Money. Before we do that, look forward to the interview I have here with my good pal Joey from Believe in Betting Chicago after Show Me the Money. So stick around for that. Uh, We're going to highlight more Giants stuff and preview that matchup between the Giants and the Bears. But first, let's get some picks for this weekend. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother. But you got to yell that stuff. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. We were seconds away from a winning week twice, ladies and gentlemen. Twice. We lost on a quote-unquote pulled hamstring on a what should have been game-tying field goal for the Bengals, which, by the way, before that, Joey Burrow led a fucking magnificent drive for the Bengals and a P.I. on A.J. Green in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown was called back, and then they missed a game-tying field goal that would have sent it to overtime. Costed us a loss. That one hurt. That one hurt. I know what you're thinking, Steven. We should have bet the spread. Well, hopefully you guys did. I do mention, you don't have... Take the picks I got. I got a feeling on them. But if you feel the spread's a better play, take it. But I'm telling you, these are winners one way or another. One way or another. But then we had the Broncos last night, too. Granted, okay, maybe we shouldn't have been in it to begin with. Because the Titans kicker, Stephen Gaskowski, missed a billion field goals. And then he made the last one. Uh, They did cover the spread. So, again, we almost had the win. And in the final seconds, we got the loss. Disappointing. Uh, for sure, but we're even. We're okay. We're still afloat on this show, and we're not going to beat around the bush about it. Listen, we're going to pump out winners this time around. They're coming. They're coming. We're off to a hot start. We had the Packers. We had the Seahawks. 2-0 and to start. All downhill pretty much from there. So let's get to the picks. I didn't give you guys a Thursday night pick last week, and here it comes. Bengals-Browns Thursday night. Ugh. Ugh. It's a gross one. I was thinking... Maybe I should go Bengals again here. We got to double down. They won't disappoint me two times in a row. Nah, fuck that. What we're going to do instead is take the over at 44. I think that's very doable. That sets you up for a 24-21 cover. Uh, I think that's very doable for a Browns team that'll look to run the ball. Maybe it'll get a little slower. But that is a team that you'd like to think is better than they put out against the Ravens where the Ravens literally brought the second team unit out on them. Uh, even if that's the case, I think you'll see Joey Burrow sling the ball a little bit more. I think Joe Mixon is going to look to have a bounce-back effort there. And I really do like that over at 44. It's a low number for me. Thursday nights tend to be slower and low scoring on the short weeks. But I think Joe Burrow is going to come back with a vengeance offensively. I do like the Bengals. Uh, I just don't want to sleep on the Browns, even though Baker Mayfield looked bad against the Ravens. So moving over to Sunday now, this will be fun. We're going to go with the Niners, only a seven-point favorite against the Jets. Give me that all day. Give me that all day. The Niners looking to bounce back in a big way after losing at home against Arizona. I think you just file that away as a win. There is no chance in hell that San Francisco is losing to the Jets. I know, West Coast to East Coast, I talk about it all the time. I'm sorry, that's just not happening. So I really do like the 49ers to cover that seven point pretty easy against the Jets. 
Then we are going to go another road team to cover the spread here. This one could get tricky. I don't really like this 5.5 number, but we're going to take the Bills to cover 5.5 on the road in Miami. For obvious reasons, another one where I just think the Bills are a very capable team. I don't think the Dolphins showed much life. They got a lot of injuries on that end, a lot of uncertainties. Fitzmagic didn't look like he had the magic necessarily. And that Bills defense is going to get after him. So five and a half, those are one-score numbers. I really like those. Steven, these are all favorites. I'm glad you said that, guys. I'm glad you said that because we're back to what you guys like the most, the dogs. And I normally don't do this, but I'm getting on the Giants train here. I am getting on the Giants train. We're going to take the boys plus 195 to go on the road and beat the Chicago Bears. A lot of road teams. A lot of road teams. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. I know what you think. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. But it's all right. Because our, our Sunday 1 p.m. games on the road, our road teams, we were 2-0. We had the Packers and the Seahawks go fine on the road. So we're going to do that again. We're going to try to pile up on these 1 p.m. Uh, 1 p.m. games. I'm only going to give you guys one 4 p.m. game and just try to do what's working for us. So we're going to take the Giants plus 195. And then over at the 4 p.m. games, I really like the Cardinals to go 2-0 here to start the season. We're going to take them at minus five and a half at home to cover the first place Washington no-names, the Washington football team. I don't like the Redskins to the point where, you know, they're going to cover a one-possession game against the Cardinals on the road. Uh, defense can be really good for the Redskins. Uh, I agree. But they were down a bunch of points, and it just so happens that the Eagles don't like winning football games, and that's why they lost. So, Cardinals minus five and a half. Then we're going to jump over to Sunday night rematch of a former Super Bowl. Here we have the Patriots at Seattle. Seattle, what will the 12th man look like? I'm not sure. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, we won't pick a team here. We're going to go back to the overs. We're going to take the over 45 in that game. Very low for me. I feel like with Cam's running ability, yes, Seattle is a very capable defense, but... Atlanta was able to do some stuff on them. They were able to move the ball. They can run the ball on them. They scored 25 points. Um, yeah, I, I just think that Cam will be able to do enough to put up enough points. That That's a score of, what, 24-21 for a push? I think you could easily see 27-24 in some fashion. Do not take New England lightly. I think Seattle should win that game. However, that over should hit. That over should hit. And then we'll jump to Monday night here. We'll jump to Monday night, and this is another one-possession spread that I'm not too sure on, but I assume, again, it's because they're an East Coast-like team going all the way to the West Coast, and they're the road team. I'm not sure, but the New Orleans Saints looked really good against the Tampa Bay Bucks defense. They're only a 5.5-point favorite against the Las Vegas Raiders on the road. I like the Saints to cover that. 5.5 uh, is a decent number for me. Uh, it scares me a little bit because it smells a little wonky, a little fishy, but... It's under a touchdown. It's under six points. And you know what? That's all right with me. Normally, you'll see where that line moves. It'll either go down or up as the week goes on. If I had to put money on it, I'd say it's most likely to go up to six as some heavy better see that number. But we'll see. That's something to pay attention to for you betters out there that are following these picks. But we'll get these to you early. This will come out tomorrow, Wednesday, and that'll be before any crazy action. And so... Try to get get on them early. Get that value before you get beat by half a point here by Vegas. And in Vegas at that, it would be fishy. 
But Vegas always knows something. So be on the lookout for where that number tends to tread up or down. So to recap, what do we have? Thursday night, we're taking the over, 44. Niners, minus 7 on Sunday. Bills, minus 5.5. Giants, plus 195, 4 p.m. We're going to go Cardinals, minus 5.5. Sunday night, over 45. Monday night, Saints, minus 5.5. Good luck to that. We're going to get over even this time around. We're going to keep our winning record and our winning ways on this show. I'm going to put some money in you guys' pocket. But on that note, I'm going to get you guys ready here for my discussion on the Believe in Betting Chicago podcast. Awesome discussion. I was happy to be on and talk some Giants Bears. Uh, Hope you guys enjoy it. Here he is, Joey Christopoulos. so much for coming on the pod how you feeling today i feel all right i feel whole again i mentioned to my uh, listeners earlier in my episode that listen the giants lost it was gut-wrenching at times but you know week one was enough for me to think football is back but now it's all the way back it takes one good heartbreak one good like uplifting like we may actually win and then it just gets taken from you to just really feel like okay this is what it's like. This is sports again. It, it just feels like everything's slowly coming back. And, and I'm happy about it, man. I, for you in Chicago, it's kind of similar, except you ended up on the, uh, on the right side of things, I guess. But it's still very apropos, right, where the basic sense of Mitch Trubisky's entire career has been three quarters of awful, one quarter that just keeps you coming back for more. He's that goal shot on the back nine that like you just put perfectly 10 feet away from the green and you're like, man, I should play golf more often, man. I should root for Mitch Trubisky more often, but you're right, man. Football is back. It gave us a little bit of everything this weekend, a lot to talk about. Maybe we'll just start here, Steven, you know, giants played the Steelers last night, pretty decent start. You know what? Just tell me, what did you like and what you didn't like from that game? What you didn't like might seem more obvious, but tell the listeners what you did like from your giants last night. Well, so Believe it or not, I didn't like only a handful of things because I felt like I came in with no expectation, really. I I think when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, second-year quarterback in a new offensive coordinator, you know, in a new system, new head coach, new D.C., I mean, completely new regime, a weird offseason that no one's really seen before. So for me, I mean, they aired some scrimmages here, but it wasn't real football. I was more looking forward to seeing – what the whole Joe Judge regime would look like and that toughness. And I think I saw it. I think I saw it at least on the defensive side of the ball. They had a good game plan for Daniel Jones. They got the ball out fast. He protected the ball a lot better. He didn't fumble, which is great. He threw two picks. So I guess it's like kind of pick and choose which you would rather. I think, you know, the picks will come. He's Eli Manning Jr. That's always going to happen. But, you know, he showed enough to me there against a Steelers defense that, Reminds me of two years ago, that Bears defense that I think every single team that goes against the Steelers this year is going to have that trouble, man. That that D-line against an interchangeable offensive line that the Giants had with a rookie left tackle, I mean, we lost by 10 points. I mean, I made the sentiment that if this was the Giants last year, they would have gave up at half. 
we wouldn't have ever had the lead. I just think they caught a second win or they had a burst there and you saw it on that 18 yard drive. They ended up just shooting themselves in the foot. They took so long to put together the drive and come away with nothing that the next drive they scored a touchdown, but by that time you're out of it and you just have no more time to score. So I saw enough to be happy about and uh, see life from, and let's put it this way. This is what I broke it down to everyone. When you see the Redskins on top of your division and you see the Eagles and the Cowboys just losing, I mean, losing by 10 points, this is a silver lining for me. I mean, we're in the NFC East. Let's be real. Like for the Steelers, the Giants are a team they got to beat. That's a team trying to make the Super Bowl, and you got the Ravens and an MVP in your division that you guys see twice. So Steelers, that's a can't lose. For the Giants, it wasn't a must win. It was more of a let's not get blown out. Let's come away healthy, and let's analyze where we're at. And to me, there was plenty of growth for me to walk away from and say, hey, we got something here. This team looks different. We look like we could actually win more than freaking five games this season. A great way to know that it's still early in the season is that the Washington football team has as many wins as the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Yep. So uh, there's, still, there's still a lot to take back and look from a broad, broad lens. And, and I'm with you. You know, the 18-play drive, I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, is that even possible and still creating first downs at the same time? But, you know, the 18-play drive looked really nice. And you know what? Daniel Jones, as you mentioned, second-year quarterback, throwing a pick in the red zone you know, maybe holding the ball for about 0.7 seconds longer than he had to until Bud Dupree got to him. You know, that stuff's going to happen. I, I think it was his first red zone interception of his career. I mean, you got you to pop that cherry at some point and sort of move on from there. And I, my question is, yeah, the Steelers defense, man, that pass rush, I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of different teams. And I, I want to hear what your thoughts are, but it sort of feels like you know, what, would, what grade would you give the Giants offensive line in this game? Because that pass rush was fierce. I think it's going to be a problem for a lot of teams in the NFL. So can you really – can you put a sliding grade on that offensive line for the Giants? Because at times it looked like they were able to, you know, work a screen pass to Saquon for a big play, but they had a really hard time getting the running game going. Well, yeah. So in terms of run blocking, it's probably a hard D, maybe less. What, what Saquon Barkley has – Six rushing yards. It's hard to give them anything above an F, honestly. But, hey, you know what? That's what the Giants kind of had going last year. It's the bed we lie in. Uh, that's the offensive line we have. We don't really have much else. If Nate Solder was there, it wouldn't be much better. That's something that you have to get going. And you saw Jason Garrett appear very obviously knowing that this offensive line is going to struggle against the Steelers to run the ball. That's why you had three tight end sets, two tight end sets, trying to help them block. The issue with the Giants – is that you can do that, but you have Evan Ingram blocking, so that doesn't do anything for you. He's not going to block Bud Dupree. He's not going to block T.J. Watt. And, and he's the real, like, loser this game for me. He's on my loser list. He Listen, you got to pick one. You either got to catch ball, score touchdowns, or block if you're a tight end. And he was dropping passes. He ran a shitty route in the end zone in that opening drive. You picked and, door and three did, with penalties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, he had the pass interference – those are drive killers. And so, look, and I was on my show talking about him as well as Saquon. Saquon had a really bad game blocking, too, in the backfield. And so it's very easy to show, you know, when an offensive line struggles to communicate. Cam Fleming and Nick Gates were picked on. I mean, this is why the Steelers are good. This is why they are who they are. They knew Nick Gates, our center. That was his first game starting. So what are you going to do? You're going to throw double A-gap blitzes. You're going to put the pressure on him to communicate. And you're going to bring it right in Daniel Jones's face. And it worked. 
because that shit is not easy to just pick up. And when you don't have a preseason and you're just going against your same look and people who aren't going to do things differently, that's why preseasons help. That's why playing against other teams help. And so I think the Steelers were right and smart to do that. I was surprised more that they didn't do it earlier on. But I think once they realized that, hey, we can stop Saquon with freaking four guys, let's just send five or six every play, and the Giants probably can't move the ball at all. And they didn't. I mean, and that was another takeaway. It's like, how are you going to get on the Giants' O-line for pass blocking when you have a fear Steelers line and it's third and 12? They obviously know you're passing the ball. You can't – you just can't expect them to hold blocks that long when you have – a guy on the left side with 11 and a half sacks and the guy on the right side who was pretty much defensive player of the year last year. I, I just think that's just, you, you can't, you can't, you can't have it all. You really can't have it all. Who was plucking interceptions out of thin air, which was not Daniel Jones's fault. That's just an incredible play by TJ Watt. And then you're on top of it and you're really hitting on something too, as well. You know, it seemed like every time they brought a cornerback, it seemed like they got home and you know, you've got young, talented, offensively explosive players in Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram, but, it's the little details, right, that's going to hold, I think, this team back. Everyone was so excited to see this Giants offense this year. But it's going to be those execution plays because if they can't do that, it's going to be snap and throw to the tight end for four or five yards, which they tried to do a couple of times just to pull the heat off of Daniel Jones for a couple of plays. Just give him a second to breathe there. And you're right, man. Maybe it isn't so much, you know, the offensive line is a little bit of a, a makeshift right now. They're trying to gel, find their chemistry, but it's kind of all hands on deck right now. And Saquon in the pass blocking was not impressive last night, in my opinion, either. I'm with you. Well, that's something he has to work on. And he knew it this offseason is something he had to work on. But the issue is the spell back they have for him back there is either Wayne Goldman or Deion Lewis, who you can't have back there to pass block. They're not going to be respected. So it's like, you know, I talk about this with my Giants friends and on my show and other shows. It's just that. Saquon is a dynamic running back, but for the Giants, unfortunately, they ask him to do everything, and it's just he can't really. He, he, he's just as much of an all-around fantasy talent he is and phenomenal runner and playmaker he is, blocking in the backfield is something he's just not very good at. And so when a team knows, and this is something I talked about on my show, they're going to send a blitz because what's the best-case scenario for Saquon? He leaks out of the backfield. Well, if you blow everything up, he can't, get, he can't leak out. Daniel Jones can't go through the progression reads. I mean, normally a check down is the last thing you look at. You have three seconds and Bud Dupree and TJ Watt in your face. Good luck. I, I, they had to set up that double screen. That was Saquon's biggest play, and they barely got that out. And so, you know, I would expect more things like that this upcoming week just to get Saquon in space. But, again, it's very predictable when he's in the game right now until they somehow generate a running offense, which they haven't. And it's incredible. I didn't even know Deion Lewis was on the Giants. Uh, Fantasy watch, everybody. He's on the radar, ladies and gentlemen. So this has got me kind of scratching my head, and I want to bring this back to you. Is Do you find it a little curious, then, that the, the makeup of the running back room is Barkley, you know, Gallman, who honestly is a very similar player in terms of skill set. You know, obviously, Barkley is far superior talented-wise, but you know, Gallman and Deion Lewis, it feels a bit of like a redundancy at the running back position. They don't seem to have somebody. It almost seems like they could have used a guy maybe like a Carlos Hyde or someone that's willing to stick their nose into the hip of a defensive lineman on a third down to give Daniel Jones a chance. You know, is that a frustrating thing for you as a Giants fan? It's, again, this, a lot of it is that you kind of have to lay in the bed you made here. I mean, Saquon is a guy that people expect to be a three-down back, and he can be, Sure. 
And he, again, it's a glaring weakness in his game, and he wants to step it up. He wants to improve it. And I'm sure it's going to get better. Again, he looked really bad against a defense that clearly knew that was his weakness, and they were going to do everything to utilize the fact that they have an inch and they're going to take it. I mean, that's what a good defense does. They capitalize on things like that. He had decent blocks at time. For me, it's more of this is a little thing. It's just picking things up. You know, a delayed blitz from the safety. Instead of just helping your lineman and blocking no one, he was missing some of those late things that you'd expect him to pick up. And so that's the stuff that's discouraging. I think he can pick it up. But in regards to your question, I'm not surprised it's like that because I think they expected, hey, we're going to have Saquon do all these things, three downs. And when we need to, Deion Lewis can get involved in the passing game. They gave him some handoffs. It's kind of like they knew this was a problem. They really counted on their guy to figure it out. And so far he hasn't. And it doesn't seem like it's a lack of willingness with Saquon. Like you said, it's something that he's working on. It just seems to be decision-making. Like they had him confused several times. Like they brought Mike Hilton, the cornerback on a, on a blitz right there. And, and Barkley's like, I got a double team Bud Dupree. I got a double team Bud Dupree. And meanwhile, Hilton sneaks right on that inside and picks up that sack. You know, maybe that's just part of the growing pains of the position. I want to pivot over a little bit to this defense who, you know, revamped defense, new coaching staff, you know, new guys in there looked like, you know, guys like Lorenzo Carter was able to get home a couple of times, but again, it seemed like the secondary was a little bit of a problem for the giants. You know, what was your take and what did you see from the giants defense last night? Well, so this defense honestly impressed the heck out of me being that we lost two starting corners or quote unquote starting corners. They would have been starting corners for the giants. We lost two starting corners this off season. You bring in Corey Ballantyne, who they tried to hide as long as possible. And, in a Patrick Graham defense, it's just hard to do that because a lot of it's man-to-man. And I think they got exposed the most in the red zone on those crossing routes because he decided to do those all-out blitzes, keep man-to-man when it, it's just not going to happen. You can't do it all game, not against a good team, not against a guy like Big Ben who knows. I mean, Big Ben can read a man-to-man defense and know who's going to be open when, and those crossing routes were just being exposed. But with that said, Bradbury looked very good, and that's the guy who needed to look good. That's who they paid for. Logan Ryan is reassuring to me that they have him now because that's someone who wasn't on the team like two weeks ago. He's new, right? Yeah, it's going to take some time, but he's a veteran presence. But him in the slot is a nice help, okay? So we're down Xavier McKinney, so what did that mean? Well, Darnay Holmes, a rookie as well, has to step up. A lot of these guys are just going trial by fire, but you know what? He was spotty, but for a rookie playing nickel, that he was blitzing, he was in man coverage. It's a lot. A Patrick Graham defense is a lot, especially when you're doing these unique, like everyone stands up at the line type of pickup defenses. Uh, He did all right. He was spotty. I I think Jabril had a hard game uh, at the safety position. Did he finish the game? He walked off. Did he finish the game or did he get banged up towards the end? From what I saw, I'm pretty sure he finished the game. But to be honest, I I couldn't tell you that last Steelers drive. I don't really know what happened. I was more anxious on the Giants trying to cover plus six. So I was looking at offense at that point where the defense – but, yeah, so overall, though, I liked our box, to be honest. The secondary will give me a headache the more you think about it. I'm just happy that Bradbury and Logan Ryan look good because those are the guys you're paying for. And in regards to up front, that part of the scheme I really liked. I think it benefits a guy like Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence that everyone stands up. You don't really know where they're coming from. And both of them picked up a sack yesterday, which was huge. Carter looked strong off the edge which was huge. And another guy we paid for, Blake Martinez, he's wearing the captain chest. 
uh, the captain symbol on his chest. And you know what? He really played like a leader yesterday. He was flying around. No one can question his tackling ability. Everyone wants to shit on him because he can't really cover. But he even did that all right. So for me, this defense had a motor. And that's something they did not have last year. They did not have an identity. No one was scared to play the Giants. And I'm not saying that they are now. But defensively, they're slowly getting to the point where, I mean, you saw early on in the Steelers game. I mean, yeah, they figured them out. But it took Big Ben and an actual quality Super Bowl contender to do it. Maybe some of these, you know, not so well-off teams offensively won't be able to pick up on that so easy. I mean, we really were getting to Ben early in that game. He even got rattled up, had a little knee knee injury early on that looked like, you know, people were concerned about. He played through it, but they were getting pressure to him. They were uh, messing him up a little bit. It didn't – it wasn't consistent, but early on in that game, there were signs of life from the defense. The college game, game day guys, uh, the announcers on the call, which I loved, by the way, we're definitely applauding the Giants defense early on for, you know, that motor that you're talking about right now, flying around the football, just looking like a different unit. And let's be honest, the Giants defense – was one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. So you're working from a place where you're definitely trying to make some incremental progress, which can be tangible and you can achieve probably pretty early on in the season. It was curious to see you're talking about all this inexperience on the defense and maybe that helps explain a little bit. It just felt like that they were just trying to keep the top on the, the Steelers offense the whole game, not get burned down the field. I don't even really think the Steelers took a lot of attempts down the field other than that Chase Claypool connection early on in the game. So they were able to get burned underneath a little bit. And they did keep the Steelers in front of them, which was, which was a good thing. You know, I thought for the most part, you know, the, the running game, you know, fits and starts. It was kind of a grinded out performance, but I thought you guys did, did pretty well. And, you know, maybe that's what it's going to take, especially with some of these guys coming into their own is gaining that confidence. Keep the people in front of you, tackle, fly around the football a little bit. And, you know, the Steelers – you know, we're going to see how the Steelers go moving forward. That can easily be an AFC contender. So the Giants, for the most part, stayed in that game. I think you can definitely look at, you know, the two turnovers that, that happened, you know, something you just got to clean up moving forward. If you took those away, though, it's definitely a lot, a lot closer game than people would think. No, I'm glad you mentioned that, too. The, the running game, yes, Benny Snell finished with over 100 yards, but they were running out that game. They had the lead, so they definitely grinded that out. That was out. a grindsman effort of 104 yeah, yards. especially sure. with Connor going out, he became the only guy getting touches. So, yeah, I thought they did tackle well. I, I did think that they stopped the run really well. Here was what uh, was bothering me, was that especially in the red zone, why not force Ben to throw the ball downfield more? You know, I think they felt comfortable in man because if he did throw it downfield – Again, he only had the Chase Claypool play, which was really close. But I don't know why they wouldn't necessarily mix it up in terms of zone. Sure, maybe that benefits Ben and he can kind of pick apart his own better. But those touchdowns were very – it was just cookie-cutter to me. They're rub routes. It's nothing extravagant. Our corners ran into each other on the James Washington touchdown. It, it, like, if you're going to get beat, if you're going to surrender those touchdowns in a hard-fought game, it's just – it just rubbed you the wrong way that it was kind of that easy, you know, on third and six, they're just going to run in and out and the slant's just going to be open because your corners don't give each other enough space. I feel like it could have been communicated a little bit better. And uh, I don't see why you wouldn't have big Ben test his arm a little bit, especially in his first game back in what a year and a half, you know, actually throwing a touchdown pass. And that's the Steelers bread and butter is those back shoulder throws, those quick rub slants. And, you know, it seemed like they hit Deontay Johnson multiple times. And that's just going to be something the Giants will work towards in the future. You know, can you make those in-game adjustments? You know, maybe they were just thinking, hey, look, you know, we got our guys. Let's sort of stick to our plan and just keep playing solid fundamentals and hopefully make some sort of play, which eventually never came. Let's spin it forward, man. Week two, 
Giants travel to Chicago to play the Bears. How do you size up this matchup from a Giants perspective? I mean, I think both sides of the field probably feel like that they could pick up a win this week. How do you look at it? Yeah, definitely. I try to look back to the last two seasons. I think the Giants have played the Bears two of the last three years, if not both. And last year, it got close late. It took Daniel Jones a little bit later in Chicago to get himself going. I think it still ended up as a, a one-possession game. I will say this. Um, like you said earlier, Mitch Trubisky still the quarterback, so it's kind of who's going to come? Which Mitch is going to come? I think that's going to matter a lot for the Bears. But in terms of just what the Giants have to worry about, the Bears' defense is no joke. Uh, I know they're not as strong and overpowering as they were a few years back or whatever. They're still talented. They still have everyone there. There is not much different from what I understand. Akeem Hicks is still playing. and Khalil Mack still on the line. So I can confirm uh, that that is true. Yeah, so as long as that's the case, the same thing is going to be true this game. I feel Danny can be fine if he takes the ball over. The game plan's got to be to get Saquon over freaking 10 yards rushing. I mean, let's be real. We scored on a big play-action bomb against Pittsburgh for the first touchdown, and we had no run game. Do you know how strong a play-action could be if you actually run the ball, I mean, successfully? So that's going to be the target, but it's really that offensive line, dude. I, I think it's that in a nutshell. That's what the Giants have to worry about. The defense is probably going to send the pressure as, you know, in, in a similar fashion as they did to Pittsburgh. I know. Chicago up front isn't anything too spectacular. So they'll definitely try to get to Mitch and see what he can do with his legs a little bit more. But I think this game is won with the Giants offensive line and what they can do with Saquon, because if they can't contain the pass rush or unique blitzes again, it's going to be a very similar tight kind of ugly looking game, you know, throughout. I think it could be an ugly game for sure. Definitely looking at the Giants offensive line, but let me tell you something right now, you know, the bears defense, They've got the names, they got the reputation, they got the respect, but heading into week two, they got a lot to prove, man. That week one game versus the Lions was brutal. It was not what we expected at all, and it wasn't just about the points and the yard. I mean, we gave up over 400 yards of offense, not going to cut it. Gave up over 150 yards rushing, not going to cut it. We barely touched Stafford in that game, so that's what I'm definitely looking at. I mean, I'm with you in theory. I'm looking at the Giants offensive line and I'm seeing opportunity as a Bears fan. But at the same time, you know, it is a little bit of let's see what it looks like because it was it was as quiet as quiet gets. You know, without Robert Quinn in the lineup, they double teamed Khalil Mack. A lot of people in Chicago now are having these polarizing takes of did Khalil Mack show up in this game or was, you know, the old he was held. He was double teamed over and over and over again. So I'm looking at that. And then honestly, from the Saquon Barkley perspective, definitely going to be really interesting to see what happens. We don't necessarily blitz the way the Steelers do. We don't love bringing, you know, we don't love bringing a lot of cornerbacks. We don't like blitzing that often. We like, it's like running with our front guys and just going from there. So it's really going to come down to gap control with our linebackers. I'm terrified of the Saquon Barkley screen pass. It is just something where if we're not disciplined enough and if it happens in the first or second quarter, we're not getting to the quarterback. We start bringing more pressure. You guys can burn us on that so, so, so easily. And I'm definitely looking at a situation where it could be, it might come down to the big plays in the game between two quarterbacks where Daniel Jones still learning the position a little bit, but can make plays has weapons and Mitch Trubisky, not necessarily known for Mr. Consistency right now. So it's, how hot can he get? What streak can he get on? And what kind of plays can he put on the board? 
and it could turn into kind of an ugly game that comes down to these four or five plays that really make the difference. Yeah, definitely like in the second half, like two, two three plays can really just dictate what this game is going to be. Two notes I have to you, though, because I saw this whole – everyone loves to watch people's Instagram, so I'm sure you heard about the Allen Robinson thing this morning. This morning, but, yes. So I know he's on his last year of his deal – and for the Bears, that would be huge. I mean, if you mean to tell me that the Bears' number one receiver, I mean, he's not hurt, so he's probably still going to show up. But if he decides to hold out, who knows? Whatever. Just speculatory. But Allen Robinson's a big piece of that offense. And that's one less thing to worry about. I think the Giants would rather you have to try to run the ball in between, which, again, they did a decent job at. Yeah, they surrendered over 100 yards. But the secondary is very clearly the weaker part of this team. They would rather the Bears run the ball. That's probably the style of game they would rather. So that's something to monitor. But here's my question for the defense, because as I watched the uh, Broncos game yesterday, I'm looking at your boy Vic Fangio over there. And, look, he is a very good defensive coach. He's not a great head coach right now, and that's apparent. But do you think that's a big downside on this Bears team right now? I'm not sure who your defensive coordinator is, but I just know it's not him anymore, and that's really where the success came from for a while. It's Chuck Pagano is our defensive coordinator, and and I, here's what I'll say about that is that we have, most part, by and large, the same pieces. We have the Khalil Mack. We have the Keem Hicks. We got Eddie Jackson, so on and so forth. The difference is Vic Fangio had this sixth sense. He had the, the hairs on the back of his neck would, would prick up at just these particular right times, and it wasn't necessarily third down situations, but he was so great at figuring out the right look and the right moment to, you know, in 2018, we had all those turnovers. A lot of that credit went to Vic Fangio, just where all of a sudden they would just, the Bears would show a look that just confused the offense or confused the opponent. Or in a situation where he was also really great at switching up the coverages or just switching up the alignments seconds before pre-snap. And Vic Fangio is big on that, where, you know, you're going to seem like, it's not necessarily, hey, I'm blitzing, I'm pulling back. It's more about, hey, I'm starting off in one place, and by the time you snap it, I'm in center field. And it just totally changes the way that they go through their progressions and look. So it's just these little wrinkles, the way that they would confuse people. And it's definitely missing. I'll be honest with you. Chuck Pagano is probably more of a, hey, just guess when we're going to bring the extra guy and bring the heat. You know, guess when we're going to bring a nickel blitz situation. He's a little bit more of a, hey, I trust these guys. Just let them go out and let, you know, let the horses run kind of dude. But I do want to comment on this Allen Robinson thing. Let's timestamp this real quick. It's Tuesday afternoon, just so we all get it on the level here. We don't know if he's showing off to practice today or not. But basically, here's the situation from my eyes. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's 27 years old. The Bears gave him a lot of money coming off an ACL surgery. So you would think that there would be some goodwill engendered. But he's wanted a contract extension all along. He missed a lot of practices in training camp with an ankle. AKA, you know, I'm not going to hold out, but I'm also probably not going to really practice either. Balled out pretty well in week one, played pretty well. And it just seems like contract extensions are stalled. And the part that I can't really understand is I don't know a lot of teams that like negotiating within a season, a contract extension. I think for some teams, they feel like that that's a bad precedent to send. So I don't understand the message by pulling all your Bears stuff off social media, other than to piss off Bears fans and get us all riled up and angered. I mean, we're at a point now in 2020, Stephen, where it doesn't take much to push anybody over the edge with really anything right now. And look, I bet Allen Robinson wants to get paid OBJ money, $65 million guaranteed. I don't know if he's worth that. You know, I think a three-year deal, 
something close to that makes sense. 45 million guaranteed. Sure. Why not? But you know, pulling all your bears social media out. I'm happy for all the beat writers out there. Cause now they can write, you know, Alan Robinson to blank Patriots. Ah, my article's done for Tuesday. I feel really good about that, but good for them. Well, you can't take that one for me. They're trying to trade OBJ. Apparently that's what the Browns said. And I said, the, OBJ is going to the Patriots. They can't both go to the Patriots. Know, exactly. That's that's the landing spot for any receiver. I'm just like, all right, send them to the Patriots for nothing. Go ahead, just take them. They already these writers already have their lead paragraph typed out already, and then it's just about filling in the blanks afterwards. And it all starts with, would the Patriots be interested? Keep in mind they don't have a second round pick this year because they traded Muhammad Sanu last year. So just saying, you know, we'll see what their capital is like. And I find it, I find it very interesting. Allen Robinson's been a great player and been a great teammate, and we absolutely love him here in Chicago. To see him doing this, it's not so much that we're angry at Allen Robinson. I think we're just kind of scared. And the Bears have been known to pinch pennies in the past, so we're kind of having a little bit of a triggered reaction to the frugal nature of the organization combined with not paying our guy who we need out there. And Let's be real. If he doesn't end the season with a contract, he will be a free agent, and he probably will not be on the Bears next year. Yeah, and in my opinion, I know a lot of people who really like Allen Robinson. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to get paid at the end of this year. Let's put it that way. Someone will pay him, and uh, I think he's obviously the standout guy on that receiving core. Anthony Miller appeared again somehow, finally. I don't – I'm not going to write home about it because I am not an Anthony Miller truther at all. I literally was on the record saying – this isn't it. I'm not doing it again. Like I'm over it. I'm so over Anthony Miller. Like he's everyone's like, big... Oh wait, just wait one more year. It's like, Oh yeah. Nah, week one, he was the guy at the bar who doesn't talk to anyone all night. And then 20 minutes before last call, he starts hitting on everyone. Yep. And, and oh, listen, literally, hey, the dude, hey. the dude balled out in the fourth quarter, no doubt. But, and, and to be fair, I think he only maybe had two targets heading into the fourth quarter, but a guy that we would love to see more consistency with a dude that has no problem catching a 12-yard pass and barking at every single defensive opponent and letting him know that he just caught that 12-yard pass. I wish we would just kind of – he would button that up a little bit. Not to sound conservative, but honestly, like, what has the dude done in the league? I would just prefer that he just keeps trying to find that end zone and, and finding the time in the end zone to celebrate. But listen, the truth is they're going to come out because if Allen Robinson doesn't play, everyone's going to say, start Anthony Miller, and I'm just going to be like, no. And, but, you know, to your point, I wanted to roll back to Fangio real quick because – what you were saying is essentially what I was hinting at. You know, in my head, I still think the Bears are doing those things, and I think that's a key to getting the Giants out of sorts. I think if one thing Daniel Jones is very good at and something he got away from Eli, the guy preps, he studies film, and he knows blitzes. He picks him up. And when he gets confused, that's when he gets flustered. He rolls to his left. He does some dumb things. So in terms of football IQ, Daniel Jones has got that. So if you're just going to send – regular nickel blitz and just hope your four guys are going to get after it. Hey, you, if your four guys can get home and stop the run, like I said, I think the Steelers realized that early on. It's like, okay, we can stop this with four guys. We can send now this guy and really change things up. If the bears can do that, go ahead, you know, better to you. I just think the key would be to mix things up against the giants because once things start getting crazy and you again, put Saquon in a position or a tight end in a position to actually pick up a guy coming in late, that's when you'll be able to get to the offense a little bit better than if you show a pre-snap or like if it's a little too predictable, Daniel Jones is good enough that he can pick that apart and get the ball out quick enough, which is something they were doing all game last game. 
against the Steelers. They were getting the ball out of his hands fast. So you're not going to have much time to get there unless you blow up that line of scrimmage right off the rip. And the curious thing that I'm ready to watch between Bears and Giants coming up is, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of those, those quick little slants from the Bears. That's not really something that we love to do a whole lot. And I do think we might actually attempt to take some shots down the field. So then it becomes the mathematical equation of how long does Trubisky have in the pocket versus your guy's pass rush, which let's be honest, looked pretty decent. And well, you know, whether the ball, the bears can be able to push the ball downfield and whether you guys would be able to get home. I think that that could be also something that could really, you know, turn into perhaps a game changer for either side as well. I just want you to know too, though, that I am a guy that likes Mitch Trubisky just because he gets shitted on all the time. Like, oh, it's, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's almost, it's almost a game now. It's hmm. almost funner to figure out the snarky thing to say about him other than to at least try and work towards figuring out who he actually is. I mean, it's so funny that the guy literally lit the world on fire in the fourth quarter, came back from a 17-point deficit with 21 fourth-quarter points to save what was a terrible week one outing. And he does it, he's not really getting any credit. It's more side-eye than it is either relief or pat on the back. And that's kind of where we're at with him. I think everyone wants him to be Patrick Mahomes. Well, guess what? He's not. He's not Patrick Mahomes, and that's okay. There's only maybe three or four quarterbacks in the league that can even maybe sniff that elite area. Anyways, you don't have – and Daniel Jones, too, he doesn't have to be the greatest quarterback in the world to have a successful football team. I think people get that confused all the time, and, and that's why Trubisky definitely gets dragged through the mud very, very often. Well, because – my thing is, and a lot of the people I talked to, they were all just like, Nick Foles, it's his job, it's his job. And I'm just like, no, it's not. Look, and to be honest, you are a Bears fan, so you would get this. Listen, you know what happened. You know they traded up for him. You know who they passed on at this point. This is his last year. Whether they give him the option or not is up to them. So what are you going to do? Bench him for Nick Foles? Then you get nothing. There's no what could have been. You can't bring him back after you start Nick Foles. You can start Trubisky and bring Nick Foles in. And then you that's the combo you want. You can't do it the other way around. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. keep going, please. No, yeah. Well, my thing was, I was like, don't be surprised if Mitch has more starts than Nick Foles. I said he's going to start the year, which they fought me on, and I ended up being right on, because it's exactly that. And I said, listen, could he be subbed out? Could Mitch get hurt? And fall? Yeah, but there's no way, even the Bears, there's too much on the line all around there for you to just say, we're done with Mitch. We can't. No, you got one more year out of him. You have to, have to get what you can out of him. Because if not, it's only going to look worse. It, it already looks bad. Yeah, you have to salvage it. Because say what you want, but if that defense performs to what it could have been, you guys were a double doink away from advancing in the postseason and being a team that, can you know make a run and Mitch is that guy that like you said we saw it in Detroit it's not gonna look pretty but bam just like that he could turn it on and he can do enough for the Bears to win and to your point he's not gonna be Mahomes but can he be a Bears quarterback that turns out to win some games and advance you guys far in the postseason he's been really close before so I don't see why he can't do it again And I'm really glad you're saying this because it's just nice to hear some outside perspectives with some rationality attached to it. And that's the curse of the Bears quarterback, right, where a lot of people aren't going to remember that, you know, Jay Cutler led a fantastic 70-plus yard drive to go up on the Packers to win the NFC North. Oh, Rodgers gets the ball back, and then he throws to Randall Cobb, and Randall Cobb, you know, Rodgers is the hero in that game. 
go to that Eagles game. Everyone talks about the double doink, but and look, you know, the offense looked terrible most of that game. But again, Trubisky on the final drive led the team down the field and scored what would have become the game-winning field goal if it wasn't for the double doink. And we that's the that's how narratives switch mm-hmm. so quickly. And I get it. We we are we are we are completely traumatized by the quarterback position in Chicago. So that those emotional scars continue on to no matter who's behind center. But you're right, man. I mean, and here's the deal. I think Trubisky probably, you know, Foles sees the field because Trubisky gets hurt before there's ineffectiveness. And I'm not saying that because I think Trubisky's going to be awesome, but more because Trubisky gets hurt. It's happened every single season. He can't play 16 full games. They want him to run the football and use his legs. That's part of his arsenal. And when he does that, he gets hurt. And that's why we have Nick Foles. And we'll see what happens, but the Bears have, you know, that $20.5 million option on Trubisky for next year. They're not signing that. It, it, what, what, it, what would it take? 30 touchdowns from Trubisky this year? That's a tall ask. So what we're sort of looking at right now is we're playing out this season, seeing what we've got. You know, if Trubisky wants to stick around, it would, it would have to be a team-friendly deal. Other than that, we got Nick Foles at $16 million for next year. And then we roll it back and hopefully, you know, get our first-round draft pick back and start looking back. And we start that clock all over again, that quarterback clock. So I think mm-hmm. the situation's a lot more fluid than people think. But I'm with you. I'm glad that they did at least. I'm glad that Trubisky at least played enough in training camp to give them the starting job. And now here we are. And, and hopefully we can move forward with him. And let's be honest, Trubisky's legs, he gives a little bit more when he plays well than Nick Foles would. And that's just the truth. Well, listen, and, and this is what I had told everyone because the rumor was, well, Foles is out playing Trubisky. I was like, that doesn't matter if he's out playing Trubisky in training camp. I'm sorry. They're going to start Mitch because to the point you said, you can't start, you know, start Foles and bring Mitch back in. But my other point was Foles just signed a huge deal. Was going to be the next quarterback of Jacksonville. That was all set in stone. And what happened in a game? One game he didn't even make it. But this happened in Philly the first time. Foles was set to take over. And what happened? He got hurt. And then they go through the cycle. And then he came back and won the Super Bowl. Everyone likes to forget that. Again, narratives. Foles is a Super Bowl hero now because he – he can, he's a baller in the playoffs. Well, that's great, but he's got to get there first. And I was like, okay, Foles is a guy you want on your side if you do have Mitch as your quarterback. Why? Because if your team's good enough to get to the playoffs, then fucking start Foles if you're that worried. But, like, you have to start Mitch this last season. You don't have to pay him next year. Fine. But while he's on your team, you have to utilize it. And to your point, that's what makes him such a good quarterback, in my opinion. He doesn't use his leg, uh, legs enough, and that's a sneaky ability he has. And meanwhile, you know, the deal with the Bears is they got to win some football games this year or, you know, Ryan Pace could be gone. I know Matt Nagy has a 20-12 and 12 overall record as the Bears, but there is a little bit of heat on that seat with Matt Nagy, and Trubisky could be gone too as well. I always look at quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are similar to pitchers for me. And the way that I look at that is, you know, we had the backup Chase Daniel last year, and he comes in for one game, plays great, and we're like, why can't we do this all the time? Well, you know, the next week after that, he sucks. You saw that in the Giants game, that he was absolutely brutal. I think it was two seasons ago he came in. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a pitcher with a pitch count. He's a relief pitcher. He can only go out there and be effective for so long, and I consider that the same with Nick Foles, where, you know, Nick Foles is, you know, pick any veteran starter right now, the John Lesters of the world. He can make, make it four or five innings, give you a quality, quality pitching, and then you got to get him out of there. And there's only a few guys like the Mahomes, the Watsons, you know what I mean? 
There's only so many guys. Russell Wilson's. Those are the guys that go nine innings. Those are the aces of the staff. They're all different kinds of pitchers in the world. Not every single pitcher needs to be an ace. And I think Mitch Trubisky right now is the guy that the scouts are like, his ceiling is a possible number two, number three starter. But, you know, there's times he goes out there and looks like a five. There's times he goes out there and maybe pitches himself out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. And we've got to look at these things a little bit differently. You know, Nick Foles, giving that, all that money to him from Jacksonville was just insane, thinking that all of a sudden he was going to become that ace of the staff when maybe he's just more of an innings eater. You know, you feel, you feel my analogy here happening? Oh, no, absolutely. I, well, I called Foles' deal the Joe Flacco deal. It, it's beautiful. I love it every time. A guy – wins the Super Bowl on the heels of, like, a team, like an actual good team, but the quarterback gets all the praise, and they pay him, and they're like, oh, he wasn't that good. We got, like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Look at the other – yeah, Joe Flacco, let's give him $150 million. You had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed on your defense, guy. Come on. Like, I don't understand it, but, like, I get it's the business of football. And you know what? It's crazy that quarterbacks do get pitcher money. It, it's it's like they get handled the same. You know what I mean? They get the big deal, but a good pitcher really isn't that consistent. Not year in and year out, or like not the, the longevity isn't always there. Not everyone can be a Jacob Degrom. You know, it, it's a uh, it's really just an anomaly at that point. I mean, you're you're wearing the White Sox hat. Look at Keuchel, or, or, or you know Dallas. He, he he had a great Cy Young season with Houston. Didn't keep it up, but sometimes the change of scenery helps. Everyone's different. Everyone's different, and these guys, especially quarterbacks situation matters and I think the situation for the Bears actually benefits Foles but they got to bring him in later they can't bring him in yet (laughs) well and and the market the market and getting what you paid for is obviously they're two different conversations but Mm -hmm. agents and obviously players unions they want to kind of bring those all together where if you're a starting quarterback you make 20 million no matter what Mm -hmm. happens end of discussion let's roll it to the actual game itself believe in betting Chicago here I believe the Bears right now are five and a half point favorites at home right now I mean, I, I'm going to start talking myself into how the Bears get a win in week two, but I do not like that number right now. I see this to be a lot closer game than that. So I am, I am pounding, you know, I'm pounding the spread right now. Uh, the Giants to cover for sure. How do you feel about that number? I like the spread, and I said it on my show, though. I'm going to take it one further. I don't bet on Giants games. I am preferencing that with, you know, before I say I'm taking the Giants money line. But I am. I'm taking the Giants money line here. Um, probably both. I think the spread is a better play, but – I just like the Giants to win their first game here. They're infamously slow starters just as a franchise. Um, I just have a glimpse of optimism. And, yes, the Bears had that late fourth quarter heroic there. But my thinking is Daniel Jones can put together some hell of a fourth quarter drives himself. And he put together a heck of a drive. And if it really comes down to that, I just trust in the guys. I trust Daniel Jones can put together a good enough series or get the win done for the Giants when they need it. I, with that said, this is coming down to the end of the game. This is coming down probably fourth quarter. I just have this inkling after losing to the Bears these last couple of times in the matters that they did. This has got – listen, every dog has its day. I just think it's time for the Giants to finally beat the Bears, especially after – I just want you to know, two years ago I was at the home game that you guys forced overtime and I think beat us in. For no reason. The Giants were out of the it. The Tariq Cohen pass. Yes, the Tariq Cohen <laughs> pass. The Tariq Cohen game. I think he had like 40 points that game. That was also, though, for me, that was a Saquon hurdle game. That infamous picture when he hurdled. Uh, That's right. And he uh, slapped his back. So, anyways, the Giants and Bears have uh, – it's, it's either 
a, a barn burner. It's either an ugly shootout or just an ugly running game. I don't know which of those we're going to get, so stay away from that total. But I, I like the Giants. I like the Giants with the points here. I'm looking forward to uh, the matchup. It's a, it's a game both teams definitely want to win, so it's not going to be easy. Def- definitely both teams need it. And as you said, Giants and Bears last couple seasons, don't tell me that this isn't going to be entertaining. Because I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it as well, where I definitely think there's going to be some mistakes. I think there can be some big plays. It could come down to who executes in the moment. And I think that there are questions with both of these teams right now about who perhaps has the edge on that side. And I definitely see a situation where it can come down to those final moments too as well. I mean, Daniel Jones is – making his way in this league. I'm not going to go ahead and say that he's an elite quarterback yet, but I've liked what I've seen from him for a young quarterback. You know, you mentioned what he's been able to do with the blitz. Very impressive on that front. Him and Darius Slayton had a really nice thing going last night. So I think that can be another situation real quick, you know, golden Tate, what do you think his status will be heading into week two? Do you think he plays or do you think it's going to be questionable, questionable, and we're just going to have to see, you know, whether he's full participation by Thursday. So they kind of played everyone out and the Giants shot themselves in the foot with this because they have plenty of guys on the practice squad. So they made it seem like Golden Tate was going to suit up or play. They made it like a questionable call game time decision, but then they ruled him out game time and they kind of just stuck with like, you know, like the gunners or the special teams guy that CJ board there who wouldn't be their, you know, their choice at wide receiver three. So uh, if Golden Tate doesn't play, I wouldn't expect the same core out there. I would expect a guy like, maybe Austin Mack, Corey Coleman, or there's, there's a bunch of other guys they could bring up from the practice squad. I don't know what's going on with Golden Tate. Um, it's just if there's anything I've learned, and it's a lower body injury, a guy at his age, they probably don't want to push it. And, you know, to your point, yeah, you don't want it to be in a one-man army with him and Darius Slayton, but at the same point, they got Sterling Shepard underneath too, and he plays a very Golden Tate-like role, and he can do that from the slot. So – you know, I, I'm not 100%. They don't have a lot of clarity on it. But if I had to say they, they might not play him because I don't think they're going to be in a rush to bring him back. I think last year they saw what he was able to do when, they, when he came back. He was productive enough. Uh, he was suspended, granted, for that reason. But they missed four games without him. So I think if they missed two games, they wouldn't be killing themselves because I think they feel in a good enough spot with Shep and, uh, you know, Darius Slayton that, hey, you know, this receiving core could – do something if you know golden tate doesn't play they don't need him he would help but they don't need him yeah it has not been a smooth ride since he's come over to play for the giants as a free agent a couple years ago we're gonna get you here out of here on this for me personally the thing that concerns me the most as a bears fan is our defensive line played so poorly in week one that i think we i'm worried that we might even overcompensate to get that engine running a little bit quicker than we want and so I'm concerned about guys like Sterling Shepard and Saquon Daniel Jones figuring out a way to beat the blitz and all of a sudden you know those guys are so talented especially Saquon if you don't have three guys around him you're gonna have a hard time tackling him so if he gets an open space it's gonna be a problem and I just feel like that we're gonna have some sort of overcorrection early on by the Bears defense trying to get home Daniel Jones spots that out maybe gets the ball out of his hands and we give up some big plays by trying to get to the quarterback, maybe a little bit too hard. And I think that that can be an issue for the defense. That's probably my biggest concern right now as a Giants fan heading in this game from, you know, playing the bears, what concerns you the most about facing the bears in week two? Well, I mean, I had mentioned that offensive line and to your point real quick, you said you're scared about that screen pass. And if they do overcompensate, 
and try to blitz a little too much. I mean, that's exactly what the Steelers did. And granted, it was only a 38-yard play against the Steelers. But you're right. I mean, that could very easily break out and be way bigger of a play, you know, given the situation. So um, I think the Giants know they're going to get blitzed because of their offensive line. And I think they're going to look to improve even more on those three tight end sets and those screens that they kind of utilize in the Steelers that had some success. Not, not in the running game, uh, not much success. But, you know, in terms of screens and those dump-off passes, I wouldn't be surprised if I see those or some play-action passes. For the Giants, what I'm most worried about, dude, I'm going to be honest, that turnovers, the turnovers. I'm worried that a Daniel Jones turnover might lead to six for the Bears. Um, I know that's something that hasn't happened. You know, that's two years in the past. But, look, we got bailed out in the fact that uh, those – you know, turnovers didn't exactly go for six. One of them resulted in a touchdown, though. So, like, we don't capitalize on our turnovers. We tend to get three and whatnot. We can't afford to have a turnover and that turn into six or seven against the Bears. Just can't happen because the way this offense works, I, I just think you saw it in the 18-yard drive. It's, you know, in its best. I think Jason Garrett's offense in a perfect world is going to be kind of a three-down offense. They want to run the ball. They want to see how things look. And they want to wait to catch the defense slipping. If it's less great but they're gonna they're gonna dink and dunk with this offense right now they don't want Danny Dimes to take too many chances or be in the pocket too long because he holds the ball so it's gonna be fast it's gonna be quick passes as long as he doesn't undercut one of those out routes or the slants and it just gets you know undermined by like Eddie Jackson and taken to the house they should be okay this will be a close game I'm just worried about one of those swings or even I was gonna say special teams but then I remember Joe Judge is now our special teams coordinator and if they gave up a special teams touchdown, I do not want to know what practice is like over in East Rutherford. That, that cannot be a fun setting to be a part of if Terry Cohen returns a punt to the house. But, uh, yeah, I'm more worried about a big play on the defense there by the Bears because, yeah, if sacks aren't enough, like strip fumble, we've seen Khalil do it before. It could really be anything. But uh, those are things that change games for the Giants. It puts them right behind the eight ball and kind of flusters everything up. So, that's it. <laughs> that would be the biggest one. Bears Giants week two, two teams that are still sort of finding their way a little bit. So it's going to be an interesting mystery box of a game. Not really sure what we're going to get, but we're pretty sure it's going to be entertaining based on some of the performances these two teams have had against each other the last couple of years. Steven Rodriguez, the host of Believe in New York Football. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Really, really fun having you on, dude. And uh, I hope you had a good time. Hopefully you can come back sometime. Even if we're not just talking Giants football, hopefully we can come back and talk some betting spreads. Yeah, Joey, I need friends to talk gambling with. I feel like sometimes I'm speaking a different language to people. They, they don't understand what I'm saying. But, like, I need someone to talk me down the money line sometimes. So I, I told my listeners, and they know this, but I had the Bengals and the Broncos uh, this last Sunday and Monday. We take the spread. We're fine. Those are caches, but here I am, a sucker, waiting for a field goal with time expiring, and <sighs> with a guy boring. who missed four field goals all night long, finally puts one through the uprights. Well, then, and, and, then, then, the a, and then an offensive dude. pass interference penalty at the Bengals. He pulled the hammy. Come on, guy. It was like a 30-yard field goal. It's just, and you want to know what hurts more? I'm just a fan of football. Like, that would have been Joe Burrow's coming out party he led a fantastic drive should have been a game winning touchdown fine but he would have won that game they should have won that game and it's just like well now you know i'm screwed from both ends i i don't i didn't get the ending or the joe burrow performance i expected 
and we lost money. So <laughs> I, I, I don't have the stats, but I just have a feeling that Joe Burrow is going to light the Browns on fire this Thursday. I think it's his breakout coming out party. And I think we'll be talking more about Joe Burrow's ascendance than we are, you know, the continuing slide of Baker Mayfield. My best bet for that game is the over at 44. I, I think, you know, there's uncertainty with the Browns. Who knows what they're going to do, but Hey, you'd like to think that offense is competent. I believe in Joe Burrow and that offense for sure. I don't really know too much about their defense in terms of like studs. Yeah. They held the chargers up, but you know, that doesn't say much. 44 is a low number to me, man. I think that a 24-21 Thursday night game between the two is very likely. And that, even if it's by a point, I, people sleep on Joe Burrow. Why? I don't know. But I think you saw enough against the Chargers who have a good defense, by the way. Um, you saw enough from him to kind of buy in and believe he can do something. So I'm looking forward to that Thursday night game too. All right, guys, a big shout out to my man, Joey, for allowing me to come on his show, Believe in Betting Chicago on the Believe Podcast Network. That discussion was brought to you by the Believe Network as well as betonline.ag. Guys, thanks for sticking around and tuning in. As always, we'll be back next Wednesday with our best bets and some more wholesome Giants and Jets contact. But be sure to download, like, and subscribe on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe Podcast Network. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. Thank you guys for listening again. Peace and love. Talk to you guys next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.